Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And we're thrilled to be back with one of Florida's coolest, calmest songwriters. Before we get into the episode, we want to take a moment to say a sincere congratulations to Laura, Ed's wife. She recently retired after a long teaching career. We all know teachers are underpaid, overworked, and instrumental in turning us into the people we become. Laura is as good as they get. And the world is an infinitely better place knowing she helped shape some of the young minds existing in it. Ed is on the road, seeing the country with her and spending time with their daughters and granddaughters, but he's left us in good hands while he's traveling. Recording engineer and our dear friend, Andrew Bullion, is on the console for this one, keeping Ed's seat warm. Given his accomplishments in recording, this should be a cakewalk, and we're lucky to have him. We're also lucky to have spent time with our guest. Hi, I'm Adam Randall. sat next to Adam Randall at a coffee shop, you might observe a quiet but not standoffish guy with the look of a friendly, unpretentious Nirvana fan with postgraduate degrees. If you struck up a conversation, he probably wouldn't self-promote or tell you he's an artist, a prolific one, with eight studio albums and EPs. You might, however, suspect it and quickly recognize something special about him, someone who stays with you long after the interaction, like a great indie film, someone whose choices and experiences have distilled a calming presence and settled him into whatever the opposite of a midlife crisis is. The progeny of these characteristics is a songwriting ability that is so, well, Adam, unique, and so good. He's never stopped refining his perspective and style, and if you've been hip to Adam Randall for the decades he's been at it, you know just how good that style's always been. And he's only getting better. The years haven't worn him out. They've polished him. He's only more resolute, more refined. In his latest release, Antelope, is a perfect example of the indie rock monk I'm describing. It's a beautiful, melodic set of songs, unconventionally poetic and illustrative, but with enough room for the listener to inhabit the songs and find their own personal meaning. We're loving this latest addition to his body of work, and we know you will too, especially after you get to know him with us. Let's dive in with Adam Randall. Welcome to Song Divers. It's so nice to finally have you on. It's great to be here. We should probably start by telling everybody that we do know each other um, mm-hmm. and that we also have a, a, 
Ed is not in the studio with us today. Ed is on tour. His wife, Laura, who's been a lifelong teacher, she's retired. And so uh, Ed is now on a tour, basically a tour of the country, seeing his children and him and Laura oh, going awesome. all over the place, which is awesome. Yeah. So he has blessed us that's awesome. to have a, a guest host on, which is our, our friend and our engineer at um, Ebor City Records, Andrew Bullion. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, very happy to be a part of this now and uh, hanging out with you guys and... Uh... Uh, that's yeah. That's that's kind of I'm I'm having a hard time over here with my English, but you know we'll get we'll get there. We're really excited to have Andrew here. So he's running he's running the boards like Ed usually would be. Um, and Andrew and and Adam and all of us we know each other, which is really exciting. We love having people we've just mm-hmm. met for the first time, and we love having old friends on the show. Let's start at the beginning. Adam, where are you from? I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, and and I but I only lived there for like maybe two years my parents moved from there to Lynchburg Virginia and then by the time I was like three and a half I was in Florida so I, I grew up here so you're a Floridian yeah I mean I was about to say a bunch of great musics come out of Ohio but well uh, one of my favorite musicians of all time is from Ohio and who's that uh, Mark Kozalek okay from Sun Kill Moon uh-huh um yeah, he he talks about Ohio quite a bit. How terrible it is. <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, you know, their cuisine, their 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 most noteworthy cuisine is like a pile of spaghetti with cinnamon chili on top of it and oyster crackers, mm-hmm. which is skyline chili, delicious, <laughs> yeah. but weird. Well, then you moved to Florida, so we have to yeah. be careful when we address a state as weird. <laughs> as a as yeah, a Floridian myself, Florida is the weirdest of all. But I love Florida. <clears throat> so you 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 were down here as a toddler, and then you know your toddler grew up in Clearwater. I mean, I I've just been in Clearwater my whole life. Like, I bought a house. Like, uh, well, at first I bought my parents' house from them. Uh, when Heather and I got married, we lived there for about, I think, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, maybe 15 years. Then we built a place three blocks away. I bought a piece of land, like the only piece of land within two square miles that you could buy and build on. I found it and bought and uh, built a house on it. So I've been in that hood for a long time. And tell us a little bit about your your family and your parents and, and your upbringing. Were you what kind of kid were you? Was there was there music in the household? Yep, there was music in the household. I'm I'm the oldest of seven. Wow. Yep. Um, my mother was a piano player, um, and my dad played banjo and guitar. So I grew up kind of listening to them. When I was about 14, my hands were finally big enough to start fooling around with my dad's guitar. And I just started learning. I mean, that was, I was kind of a self-taught musician. So I'm going to pause you there for a second, because when you said banjo and piano, I was like, that makes sense because, and as listeners, if you're just hearing Adam for the first time, we're going to get to hear Adam play later. And 
his finger picking it, it he's touching the strings like a piano player articulates notes mm. on a keyboard and um so i was going to ask you like so you didn't take any piano lessons i mean i'm assuming you were absorbing well, your mom no, playing and seeing that stuff i did take piano lessons um for a while like uh, up until i was about i don't know 12 and <laughs> Part of the, like, I had lessons from this um, woman that was part of our church. She was our pianist. I took from her for a while, but then my mom actually showed me some stuff as well. But I dropped piano at, like, yeah, 11 or 12. Did you start I, reading music? I just music? lost interest in it. Yeah, I I was reading music. I could, I could play um, things. I wasn't very good, but I really was interested in guitar. But I couldn't play it. I couldn't. My my fingers weren't long enough. Um, so, you know, you grow up. I, I wish I would have stuck with piano, truthfully, because uh, it's such a, it's an instrument that, that, that touches so many other instruments yes. you know I mean it's a percussion instrument uh, and I think you know it would be cool to write music on piano I may pick it up again you know at some point it's weird like when you're being when your parents want you to learn something mm -hmm. you just don't want to learn it right and then so I, I don't know I guess that's why I dropped piano um, because I maybe felt like it was something I needed to do or something. And then when I picked up guitar, that was just all me. Basically would play every day from like 14 to 16. My parents were like kind of hippie type people, you know, Volkswagen bus, um, so a lot of the music that I was listening to was like, they had a record player and like Cat Stevens and uh, yeah, Paul Simon. I was a huge fan, James Taylor. Yes. So like a lot of my, uh, and I, I think you can still hear like the first songs that I learned how to play were like The Boxer by Paul Simon some Cat Stevens songs, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you can almost hear Cat yeah, Now that you're saying I mean, Cat Stevens, I can almost hear it in your picking style. Yeah. Like you're, you know, I mean, again, your songs are all very diverse and, and interesting, right, but right. there's a, we all have sort of these little signature things yeah. you can tell it's somebody touching the instrument. Yeah, you I know? mean, we stand on the, on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, that's the... But I mean, you're in, in your, what I would, and you know, what I would deem when I, I know it's you when I hear you mm -hmm. playing a guitar, whether I've seen you or not, you know, and right. I think that's the mark of a artist who's both found themselves, who's put the hours in. Um, but in that I can hear mm -hmm. influences of people sure. in that style I'm recognizing as yours. And it's funny, as you say, Cat Stevens, I'm just thinking of that kind of intro yeah. to your know, peace train and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so were your parents encouraging of picking up an instrument? I mean, you had a lot yeah, of siblings very running around. Much, it sounds like they're probably much. just happy they, to keep they, you guys busy. Yeah, they they encouraged me. Um, yeah, to just develop it, and you know, uh, I had kind of a an unusual 
upbringing. So I was, I was homeschooled. Part of the philosophy behind the whole thing, because you know, you know, now there's a lot of people that homeschool their kids, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when I, now. When I was a kid, no one was doing it. Like it was like we were like weirdos, like crazy people. There's good things about that and, and bad things about that, but um, one of the good things is that I was really free to kind of like sink deeply into music and you know I mean like I would spend hours playing guitar and writing and you know I started writing music when I was 16 so yeah that's um that's where it all began when when did you find music for yourself so you mentioned what was being played around the house but can you remember when you started selecting Stuff I we can tell listeners too. I mean, you're turning fifty on Friday, right? No, I'm turning forty-eight. Excuse me, forty-eight. Yeah, I still got two years. <laughs> okay, and that's not me implying that you look fifty. <clears throat> I'm starting to look fifty. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of just I was trying to remember. There was a I know there's a birthday when the EP is dropping, which we'll talk about yep. in a little bit. But yep. it's my forty-eighth birthday. But that is to say, like you know, you probably grew up going and buying CDs, and maybe you're still buying vinyl and stuff like that. I was buying tapes, so okay, uh, yeah. So what were you, so when you were seeking music out for yourself, what was that around that time? Uh, so or were you? I was. So there was certain music that was kind of off limits, okay, because I was raised in a very devoutly uh, evangelical Christian family, and hippie. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. What an so, interesting Yeah. I've always I've always said my parents were hippies that never smoked weed <laughs> or went to Woodstock. Like like it is the most but they had two Volkswagen buses. My dad built a Volkswagen engine in our living room. It took him like half a year or something. <laughs> um my mom ground her own wheat and made bread I mean it, it, you know they were like flower children but you know also Jesus people I could I like I if I went out and bought just like uh, anything any you know any uh, like certain rock music or whatever that wasn't kosher right but the peace stuff like James Taylor and Simon and Garfunkel and all that I could that that could be squeezed in <laughs> even though it was secular right yeah so I would buy all that and then um, I mean that's I'm sure that's why I have such a folk bend to me because I didn't really grow up listening to punk or like uh Rock. I kind of discovered all that as, as an older, like in my early twenties, I got into hip hop and, you know, this whole world of stuff kind of like, opened up to me. Um, but. And what was it? Where did you find that? Just, were you all of a sudden now? Well, yeah. Not, I mean, you you're grow no longer, up. You're no yeah, longer homeschooled. You you're around other kids. And, and here's the thing: it's like, everyone kind of evolves. Like. My younger siblings, 
they had a, I mean, you know, because your parents, I was the firstborn, and I can, I can, I can speak to this in my own family. I was more strict on my firstborn than I am on my last kid. Mm-hmm. Luke has an amazing life as a 15-year-old because I'm way more chill as a dad, right? My oldest son, you know, he, he got the scared, what is going to happen to my kid if I let this, you know. As a parent ages, they kind of figure out, this stuff doesn't matter. This stuff maybe does, you know. So like my, my younger brothers, you know, they just like listen to whatever, you know. They're like, and like I would come home and I'd be like, dude, these guys... What are you doing? <laughs> you, you, they can't have this. <laughs> but, yeah, that's part of my story, I suppose. Well, so talk about this. Is really interesting about the homeschooling piece, because <clears throat> yeah. you know a lot of times, you, you know, you're finding what well, you guys are also. I'm assuming going to church on Sundays. Yeah. So are you interacting with other kids? Are they sharing music with you? Like, where else are you getting music from? As you're, you know, yeah, I mean, as 12, like 13, as this, 14, all the way up through teens. You know, when I'm like in high school age. Um, did you then flip to like a public school? Did you? No, I never went to public school. So I was in a Christian school until like I was like in the fifth grade. I finished fifth grade there, and I entered middle school as a homeschooling kid. And there's me and my younger sister, Myla, and we're two years apart. Mm-hmm. And then there's ten years between Myla and the next set of kids that's when your dad was busy working on the engines <laughs> that's when my dad was busy working on the engine and he celebrated and, and they had five I, more children i had I, I say that my parents had this renaissance of some sort where they started having more kids so like there's me and mila and then 10 years later there's five more kids and there's a set of twins and then a few others uh and then um so my youngest brother was born when I was 19. Wow. Yeah. It's a crazy family. But as diverse as we all have kind of become, the, the thing is that, that, I, that I love about my family is that we all, like, get along. Like, there's literally no drama. When we get together... Um, there's no, it, it's, it's like, we're all just like kind of accept each other, you know, that'd be um, a lot of drama. It'd be a lot to keep track yeah. of if you had drama between nine people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, we've always, we've, we've, we've had our moments for sure. Um, and like my religious beliefs have changed like almost 360 or 180. Now 360 would bring me right back to <laughs> the beginning. Exactly. Uh, but, but, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a point of contention at times, but it's not a, um, there's still just like, all right, now Adam's over here and it's fine. He's still, he still gets in with us, you know? (laughs) So there's, you know, there's love, there's, uh. It's it's a weird, crazy family, but we're us, and it, it works. 
Well, and I want to talk a little bit about because it's so present. And I, you know, I found your music years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I've been listening to you for a long time. Been a, have been a fan long before a friend. And there is so much biblical, Christian biblical, and more. Oh um, yeah, you know, just religious oh, in man. general references. So my own take, and we'll have you tell us if I'm right or wrong. My own take on a lot of it was you hear it in your catalog over the years of you wrestling with a hundred percent your own transition from hundred percent. Here's yeah. the fabric of what I knew, yeah. and now I'm finding other things to be true. And it's so of the things that people work through as songwriters. There's so many things, but yeah. that is so present in your music. I mean, it's even still in the newest EP. Can you Absolutely. talk a little bit about yeah, I mean, that, that journey a little bit? And, and was that yeah. part of like, you know, a lot of people find songwriting or even just an instrument as an outlet, as an expression, mm-hmm. you know, you're the oldest, so it's not like you're finding, and you're the oldest by <laughs> a decade. By so it's not like you're trying to find a way to stand out necessarily of this no. group of people. Like, was it a, was it a respite from you? Were you bucking some of a resistant to some of what you were growing up with religiously and starting to feel as you aged and just absorb more of the world that that didn't fit with what you we're starting to feel naturally. Yeah, I mean, I think um, as I as I got older, certain things stopped making sense to me. the The fly in the ointment at the very beginning was actually the doctrine of hell, which is an eternal place, basically where you're tortured by God forever for not believing the right things about the creator of the universe, Jesus, you know. Um, This is a very, this isn't an all-encompassing Christian belief. There's a lot of Christians who don't believe in hell. Um, But the, the evangelical sort of definition of salvation involves a literal place of conscious torment okay so i mean if you want to get into the theolo- the theology of why it doesn't make sense i'll just say part of the the-, the theology of salvation is that the wages of sin is death the direct result of sin is death so so there's a quantity of offense or whatever. So you commit a finite number of sins on earth because you only live so long. But hell is eternal. How is that just? I mean, you would think that after a hundred million years of torture that you would have paid the debt. But... It's well, not paid. With inflation being what it is. It just seemed excessive. <laughs> so, so that one thought led me into exploring all these other things about just the origin of the religion. Um, just the, the deeper you dig into like uh, the mechanics of dogma, just the more it falls apart for, for me. I'm not saying this is, uh, obviously there's multiple viewpoints on this, but, and so, yeah, that, that came out a lot in my songs. Like, 
But was it something you were working through anyway, like separate <laughs> of being a, a musician and songwriter? So I think the songwriting is like, it's, it's a way for me to figure out where I'm headed, kind of. Because the way I write songs is not like, I don't ever sit down and and have an I, a subject that I want to write about or um, say I want to I want a, a record about this thing or whatever. Well, and we usually ask, and since we're talking about it now, we'll ask title first, music first, subject first. Yeah, it, it's it's none of those things for me. It is, it it's a feeling. It's a, I'll get into this space where I'm like oh I need something needs to emerge here like I I know when I can write a song and I know when I can't and I don't even try when I can't like I, I'll go for months without writing anything and will you then, pick up the guitar in that time oh yeah I'll play I'll, and I'll do shows and I'll, I'll you know but I know and then I'll pick up the guitar and I'll just um, I'll start fooling around with it and a, a chord progression will come and then I'll and normally what I get is like a single lyric a single line as the beginning and I won't even really know what it means or anything but I'll just kind of go with it that's how the songs are formed it's it's very intuitive and like sometimes I'll get done writing a song and I'll just be like I don't even know what that's about. <laughs> and then later on, as I think about it and sing it more, um, I'll realize, oh, I w this is what I was like trying to tell myself. So like, yeah, listening back to my old albums, it's, you know, you can tell like, like, uh, like different blood was such it, it, it was I was really wrestling with a lot of things during the creation of that album um, and then I think The Vanishing World was like so The Vanishing World preceded Different Blood I think that was the beginning of, of like the cracks in, in, in this worldview of mine and then by different blood I think I was really starting to let go of everything because the whole concept of that is like um, if you look at the cover art mm -hmm. um, it's from a, an, an artist a friend of mine named um, Ryan Foster this um, for different blood this for different blood yeah. and he, he's He's a professor of art somewhere, um, I think in Alabama. But it's called the, the title of the painting is either or versus both and. And what he did was <laughs> very he, Adam Randall title. Yeah, yeah. Um, what he what he had done was he had taken all of the or or a, a collection of religious leaders that make an exclusive claim to truth so like Jesus Muhammad um, 
there's a there's a picture of Henry Kissinger in a in a urinal. His fit, his head is sitting in a urinal. I have to look closer. You at this. Look closely at this painting. It I is, know that I know it, it is like, utterly bizarre and um, beautiful, but but you always see it in the little Spotify area. You yeah, know, I haven't. I need to. I'm gonna blow it up and take a look. At yeah, this. blow it up. Um, and that really like as the album was coming together, you know, musically, uh, that painting was like this is the this is a physical representation of what is going on in my mind, like religiously. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the context of different blood is like, there's all these competing ideas of truth. And if you, if you, cling to an exclusive version of it you create an unsustainable world is what happens every war that has ever been fought has been fought by people who believe their version of the world is the only one and yeah. yeah. I don't know. We got to give each other some more some more room, I think. Well, and it's it's not to put words in your mouth, but I even even your early records, they all they all feel like a like a meditation you're doing for yourself that is then mm-hmm. an expression that's shared. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that. Not everybody makes the transition to say, all right, now I just want to go do this in front of a room of people and share this meditation on yeah. how I'm feeling. When was that transition to where you're like, okay, I'm writing for myself, but I actually want to perform because I think for anybody that goes and listens to your stuff, and this is certainly true of me, like there's a lot of, I mean, what you just said feels like, like, you know, you hang out with Confucius, you know? And I mean that in a very nice uh-huh. way and that like, I You're wish. saying that in a way that, like, I trust. I tr- you have an authoritative voice on your viewpoint, but your viewpoint feels like something I want to consider as an artist, you yeah, know, cool. and as a person. But, <laughs> you know, the, being able to put that into written song and then share that and, and make a decision to go out and share that with mm-hmm. whether it's a open mic audience. Like, when was that transition where you said, I, I want to share this, I want to talk about this? Um, I'll tell you, like, I, I had written all these songs in my late teen years and then and and I wasn't really doing anything with it I would just play them for people here and there um, and then I met this girl that I ended up marrying uh, Heather and I played like she didn't even know that I was a musician for like the first few months that we were hanging out and then one day I just played a couple songs for her and she was like, you're, you're actually good at this. Um, you should, you know, try and make a, a record or something. So she kind of put the idea in my head. And I did. I, I went and I, got a, I found a studio and, you know, basically spent my savings making this little album. Um, and after that, it felt so 
cathartic to put something out that was like a piece of me in the world mm -hmm. that I just kind of got addicted to it and like like this makes me this is healing for me this is a kind of therapy for me and so I just kept doing it and you know now I have like a kind of embarrassing amount of uh recorded material on <laughs> see i i disagree i think it's a really commendable amount i mean you know the i think the first thing you put out was 1996 yeah around there and you've got seven records two of those repeats mm -hmm. which is i think also commendable i i'm a huge fan i know andrew too like we huge still fan. really like a full record we love listening to an mm -hmm. artist take us on a full journey and i yeah. think there's something to say about just a body of work. And I like, I love EPs also. And I know that music is changing and yeah. the way that people consume music is changing, but mm -hmm. especially given when you started putting shovels in the ground, I think it's really commendable and they're all really good. I know you might Thank disagree you. with us. And I know you and I were talking about this the other day that one of your sons was mentioning to you, you were kind of talking about your discomfort with some of your early material yeah. and well, I'll let you say it, but I, I thought what he said yeah, back to you he, made a lot of sense. My first two albums I I didn't release digitally like until 2020. One was a cassette, you know, it was just put out on cassette. But I did have a digital copy of it. Um somebody helped me make a CD out of it. My second album was just CDs that I I made like I think I made 500 of them and sold a lot of them had a lot left um but then my third album was called bodies and souls were meant to be together and that was by the time that had come out like the internet was you know fully functioning and whatever and um so that went to digital is on all the streaming platforms and I was just going to let those first two records just be lost to time because they were just so, I was so different, like philosophically and um, whatever, artistically maybe. Um, but my oldest son, he kind of was like, he kind of convinced me to put them out. He's like, they are part of your story. like they are part of you like why not tell the whole story um there's nothing wrong with those records and he he loves the i had a band called the adam project in the late 90s early 2000s and that one album called the adam project it was the only album uh of that particular lineup of band um and but it's noah's favorite thing he like grew up listening to it so it's nostalgic for him um so yeah i kind of put those out for him um and i'm glad i did we are too thank you noah yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think adam just going back a little bit because i think it's important you know as we think about the a big chunk of our listeners are budding, burgeoning songwriters, mm -hmm. you know, and you went from, you know, 
all of a sudden you're renting space and recording. Had you been playing out at all? Had you been gigging before Heather kind of gave you the kick in the ass? Uh, I, no. I mean, I would play at church and um, I would play around coffee houses here and there. I think that that but, definitely counts, especially church. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't have this experience, but a lot of my friends are, you know, st- still to this day, they're playing in church bands. And that's such a important way to... You know, learn to play with other musicians, yeah. learn to put songs down, perform yeah. in front of people. Uh, like, I think church is, I mean, Heather and I talk about this sometimes. Like, it's it's a, it's very fertile ground for, like, certain types of music. Like, this whole folk Americana, like, scene, scene uh, like, seems to be rooted in people playing music at church. You know, it's banjos and guitars and um, and then like R and B music. Mm-hmm. You can hear the gospel coming out of that big time. Mm-hmm. Um, and singing is encouraged. You know, like people develop their voices in choirs and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's it's good. So you had a you had a record in hand, excuse me, a tape in hand. Uh-huh, tape in hand. And what was I mean it doesn't sound like there was a plan, but oh, there's did, no, did you there's no are you showing it to anybody? Are you just playing coffee houses, handing the playing tape out like what's houses. Um, Who's who's hearing this tape? Uh, I would take the the tapes to um there was this coffee house in Indian Rocks uh called Smiley's Coffee House. And I was like a regular player there and a lot of my shows or a lot of the times I would play it was just me and the guy who plays bass for me still his name's Jason Rashan. hi Jason and um, him and I have played music together since we were 16 so we used to be just me and him bass and acoustic guitar we'd play there and then uh, started adding some other people um my original band was this guy named michael smith who played piano and a guy named ryan fraser who's a drummer he still plays around town he's they're both amazing musicians um and uh so we would play there and you know i would sell the tapes there i mean that was kind of like the main spot for me. I would play there and then like I played at a bunch of churches around town um, and various events. I've had some weird shows as I think back. Um, But you know, always just out of your trunk. Hey, do you want want to buy a tape for $10 or whatever? So was the progression from making a tape way back when Mm -hmm. and then you know we get to now where you're putting stuff out at a fairly regular clip i would say i mean certainly more than other musicians and it's it's all really good not that the early stuff wasn't it was Mm -hmm. but like you've really found your voice and the style and yeah um talk a little bit about that transition i'm sure like you're probably listening to more stuff other music's coming out it's influencing you know what you are expecting or wanting to hear like are you going into the studio all right let me ask this differently because i think you are 
when you are going into the studio now, mm-hmm. how has that changed in both what you're trying to express about the song, <clears throat> maybe how you're working with people and what you expect out of the studio also? Because I know a little bit, we've talked some briefly, you know, preceding this about your working relationship with John Cobalt, who's your yeah. current producer, who does a fantastic job with your records. Yeah. That was... tra- transitioning as a recording artist mm-hmm. also, because again, I think important for people is, all right, I have these songs. I'm going through it with a, a friend of mine right now. My friend Tanner is a has a fantastic voice. He's really starting to write some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And he he and I were talking about the other night is kind of that working through what like what what do I do now? What do how I want to record? I had some experience like what what am I trying to do? How am I informing my own ideas of what I want to do? How do I know what I should ask for? Like what's the goal? Talk a little bit about that experience and maybe that transition from making a tape and what that was like then when it wasn't really your idea, you've kept doing it and you're doing it, in my opinion, at a, a really high caliber now um, that has lasting power, staying power. I, I kind of feel like the artist is uh, the scribe of the life that is around him or her or whomever, you know. Um, and so... Part of what I'm doing is just creating a record of my experience here. I mean, that's what a record is. It's it's a moment in time. And so there's that piece of it, you know, like there's part of it where it's just like this is this is gonna outlive me. It might not do anything while I'm alive but it it at least it's just this thing that's here it's a it's a relic of my existence right and a kind of relic of of everything around me you know because I write about things that happen you know with my family and um, my experience of you know whatever like transitioning from deeply religious to pretty much agnostic, you know. Um, These are all just things that I just put down, right? And then, but I think part of why, like, my output has, has been sustained so well partly uh, well not partly I think uh, entirely because um, John and I working together is such a natural fit that there's there's just no struggle when you meet someone who like completely understands what you're doing and can uh, really highlight your strengths um, that's what John is to me. And he's he's a very interesting person, you know, like I've done three things with him. He did The Vanishing World, um, he did the Two Man Con and he's this this latest release. And him and I has, have actually grown together. Like he's gotten better at what he does and I've gotten better at what I do. And um and now it's just like we're making something that's really I'm very gratified when I hear it you know and um, it's not for everyone but 
it's it's definitely uh, it, it it hits a very specific mark now. You know, the two man con what came out what was that two thousand twenty, and then I wrote another batch of songs and I called John and I was like, I got some more music and he's like, come over, and we recorded all the songs, bare mic that guitar in a room very similar to this. You got an old school Yamaha acoustic sitting next to you. Yeah. It's a beauty. Yeah. That's a, I, someone gave that to me when I was 16 and, um, it was old when I got it. It was, I think it's like a mid seventies model. So that guitar is probably as old as I am. It sounds great. Yeah. I think two man cons, one of the ones you said you did with him and mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I love all your stuff. That's one of my favorite records. I just, yeah, it feels like this. Well, not to be too punny, but this apotheosis, if yes. you will, <laughs> yeah. of you as a songwriter. I know you'll talk to him about that because yeah. um, that's the the name of one of the tunes on your EP. But you can hear through your catalog these, I think, very definitive evolutions. You know, of you like there's a I can batch the records together. Sure, you know, oh, and yeah. I think the two man con is almost this like really identifiable transition into the songwriter you are now absolutely and in that title track i think is also very almost like the the, the forerunner to the type of writing you're doing now mm -hmm. that this like this even more it's a contemplation but there's it's almost like script writing in a way or so I, you're just the mm -hmm. way you're telling stories now i feel like really started and is branching off from that record i don't know if you yeah i'm yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, um, there's something, uh, it, it, it's weird. It's like something happened with that batch of songs that, um, that the two man con came from. Um, I was just able to like tap into like this really unconscious part of myself um, with it and you know there was a lot of things happening at that time you know like uh, one of my one of my kids was having a real rough time like really rough and so my family was was like just kind of in a lot of turmoil and there was so many things happening in the world that are still happening. Um, there's all these school shootings happening. Um, the song Blood was literally a kind of like a, a just a response to the Parkland shooting. And I, I had this friend of mine who we've kind of gotten closer over the last you know few years and he knew I was a songwriter um but he, he didn't really listen to my music and one day he turned on he just was like oh let's see what Adam's about and he listened to the song blood and he just texted me he was like dude what is wrong with you <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is dark <laughs> yeah but anyway, yeah, I agree with you. In some ways, I feel like I've just kind of let go of trying to make things a certain way. Really just 
take my hand off the wheel and just see where it goes and you know who knows how long that will last well what you're doing is very authentic but the title two man con speaks to the opposite you know even just naming a record or an ep or song is is a tough thing and again all of it seemed very natural to you yeah two man con is uh It comes from um, a story that was told in a Neil Gaiman book called American Gods, where he talks about the the main god character who's talking to the protagonist of the story. And he's telling him about the two-man con and what it is. And it's this, it's two con artists that are working together and they're playing opposite sides of a fence. So like in the in the most traditional like two man con, you what you'll have is like a priest will go into uh, a pawn shop with a piece of jewelry and say to the guy, "Hey, somebody donated this piece of jewelry to the church. Want to get some money for it, and it'll go to the alms." And so the pawn shop owner sells it to him. Or, uh, gives him, you know, $1,500 or whatever for this nice necklace. And priest leaves with the money. And then maybe a day later, a policeman will go into the same pawn shop and say, Hey, was a priest here yesterday by any chance? And did he sell you something? And the guy was like, Yeah, you know, he sold me this, this necklace. And he shows him the thing. And he's like, Well, that guy is a criminal he's not a priest and we've been tracking him for a while so um give me the uh, if you give me the the necklace i'll take it into evidence we'll collect the money from the guy when we put him in take him into custody and then you'll get your money back and blah 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 so the guy hands over the necklace well the priest and the cop are working together right so now they have the necklace and the money and the pawn shop owner has nothing and so the metaphor that is that Gaiman is kind of pushing with this idea is that all religious systems all all of our archetypal institutions are built on this concept that good and evil, you know, God and Satan, right? They're trying to convince you of something, which is you're missing something. And the whole con is God and the devil are just two sides of the same coin. And, you know... uh, our political structures are are the same. You know, you have um, whatever side of the coin you fall on, the other side is bad, and they have it all all wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, I was thinking about this, and you know, I've been really in listening to a lot of Alan Watts stuff, and he actually talks a little bit about this same concept and. He said uh, something that that stuck with me. He said, the point of religion 
is to steal your watch and sell it back to you. So the, the point of the whole con is to get you to think that you don't have what you already have. And so, you know, religion, you know, in all of its various iterations is trying to convince you that you're, there's, that you need something, that you, you're, you're empty. You don't, you don't have everything you need. And so you, you go through all of these various motions to try and get that. But then at the end of it, the real trick and the real value, I think, of religion is when you finally see that you've had it the whole time. And that's actually what they've been trying to get you to see. Is, is this, this illusion of poverty. You're not broken. You're not empty. You're whole. You already have everything you need. Just step into it, you know? I think sometimes I just get lucky. Um, you know, I mean, it's such a cliche to say the songs write themselves, but they kind of do. They're just out there and you just pull them down. As far as me and John, it's like the songs are basically done. What John does is he he just he creates this like this landscape for them to sit in it's the most perfect way to express what's there for this lat for this recording he did all of the percussion he plays electric guitar bass he plays horns the guy is like a well of creative ideas and then there's all this other weird stuff that i don't even know what he's doing truthfully like some of the sounds like on uh, there's this song it's called um I have always loved you and it's one of the tracks that's going to release this Friday with the whole thing when it when he first gave it to me I was like I, I don't even know how you did that thing I wanted to ask you was about like when you get in to the studio how do you guys start writing you I mean you have the songs written uh-huh. does he put down like a loop or does he like oh yeah so like he'll get the tempo <clears throat> I'll play it for a while and we'll kind of like be like okay this this is the tempo and then he'll just put a click in my ear and um i will play i will have the song totally mapped out in my head and i'll play the song without singing to the click um all the way through and then once we have that sometimes i'll go back and double it um, and then I'll do my vocals separately right. and that's the beginning and um, most of the time it, and it, the environment is also really relaxed you know it's just um, there's no pressure or anything to if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't that's how it works I mean, it. It, it's uh, and 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 having it to the click, uh, having it metered out perfectly, is that enables him to go and do a lot of other stuff, um, 
that you know if I was if the tempo was really up and down it would be difficult um, that's an, it's an interesting point right there too so for the budding songwriter mm-hmm. you know when you get in the studio one of the first things the engineer is usually gonna ask you is what BPM is this or do you, mm-hmm. you want to set this to a click yeah. the answer is yes by the way in most cases you should try and do that for a lot of reasons but a, a lot of what Adam's talking about he's able to sit down put these songs together and then send them off and John Cobalt's able to take them away because they're metered, able to really build something yeah. really cohesive. Yeah, and like once, I mean, now we're in the digital age, it's like, it's just so much easier because once the song, like, um, you know, Rob Ostenton plays on the album and um, we just sent him the track and he's got his own studio and he played a bunch of stuff and sent it back and John mixed it and uh, so Apotheosis is uh, it's me and Rob and John and then same thing with Liam Rest we sent him Rest and, and he recorded like in his own little studio and sent it back there's this dude in Nashville that I've never met personally. His name's Juan Solorzano, but he's this magnificent like lap steel player, and um, so he's on the record. And that's pretty much it. Well, and I, I want to clarify a couple of things. First of all, there are certainly cases where you don't have to play to a click. It just all depends on what certainly. the project needs, right? And the last song on the album, I don't play to a click. Um. But also, there's no percussion. Right. So, there are certain... Yeah, I agree with you. Not And if you have a band, too. This is another thing. Mm-hmm. If you have a band and you're playing in a live room, it feels better not to play to a click. Absolutely. It, totally. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you get this, like, really just um, loose kind of, like, emotive... Fluid feeling yeah mm-hmm. the song feeds itself yeah yeah and you're and yeah. you're you're there's the interplay between the artists like i don't think zeppelin ever played to a, a click track <laughs> yeah. you can tell I you can tell it. yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i mean but it's it's it, fantastic it feels yeah. right yeah. I, and, and again there is no one set way to do it i think the reason i say that is because i in talking to people from our last couple of seasons of this it's just as much as they enjoy listening to the guests Mm-hmm. Just like I'm enjoying listening to you right now, they're taking away notes, you know. And even, I mean, I'm sitting here taking away notes from everybody we talked to too. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I like to call those points out because if you are learning from the guests on the show, saying I really have enjoyed, and will enjoy this record that you're about to finish putting out, and you want to like, well, how do I get some of that? I mean, one of the things I think related to this, I think people really struggle with is that relationship that Andrew was just talking about. The beauty of you coming in playing something and saying I'm sort of. People don't even know what words to use to articulate mm-hmm. this fluid thing of sound, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, I like to point to other references. Some people hate that. Some people really don't want to hear other song references or musical references. You mm-hmm. know, if I was thinking about your song, you mentioned what John has been able to bring to your, your record. You play a song acoustically, and then he goes away and says, all right, I think I know what you're doing. If I had to try to describe to somebody who has not heard your songs what John has done, I would say, you take a song and say... He's taken an acoustic song and he's put it in like uh, like uh, the like Narnia, you know? I mean like yeah. it's almost this mystical 
How would you even describe these fantastical, mystical sounds that are almost ethereal? And, you know, like, how do you how do you go about doing that? And I think it's so important that if somebody kind of just already is getting that and they know it, like just how valuable that is. And would you have even thought to ask for that? No, I, I mean, because it's this beautiful atmosphere yeah, that he's building no, around I mean, your songs. Yeah, there's the limit of your own imagination is it's it's so clear i mean it's like you know you can some sometimes you'll have an idea like the, the like the harmonies that liam did on rest i would not have thought of that you know what i'm saying but he hears it and then when i hear it i'm like oh damn that is such a good idea and like it's so simple and like the guitar parts that he's playing, like it's so roaming and so like, um, yeah, just roaming is the only word that comes to my mind. Well, it, it is it is fluidly evolving. Also. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, I, I think working, bringing other people in, you know, that's where you create something that you know you couldn't have created otherwise. I totally agree. And I, I also think it's a luxury. Especially me. Like, I do, like, one thing well. I don't have a ton of ideas. Like, somebody, I, I had one of my friends ask me a long time ago. He's like, how do you, like, how do you settle on a chord progression or these words or whatever? But he was a... a an amazing musician who had all this music theory that behind him. And I was like, I don't settle on anything. I have one idea. That's it. I do that. That's all I can do. <laughs> you see, it's like, it's very simple. Like I don't have all these other places that I can go. I just go here. Cause that's where I am, you know, but there's like guys like that. Um, you mean like Liam Bowman? Yeah, as an like, example, like 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 Liam. He he can do. Yeah, he's he's everything. But he, yeah, what I'm saying is like during the craft of a song, it's like there's all these various ways to express something, but for me. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's like there's this, there's something that happens that makes sense to me. And that's what it is. Like, I don't ever go back and go like, should I have done a different chord here? Or, but like, if you have this huge toolbox with all these different tools in it, you have all these different options, right? It can lock you into actually not ever releasing anything because it's never right um that's one problem i don't have <laughs> i just don't have that problem like i that's i think that's part of the reason why i've been able to put out so much music is because um i don't overthink it let's talk a little bit about the thing that has emerged recently you are putting out the the full EP mm -hmm. for Antelope. Yeah. 
on fr- this coming Friday. So Friday, it's yeah. we're recording on a Sunday, September 25th, 2022, for people listening years yeah. in the future. Um, Friday, the full EP drops. You've So far, you've put out Rest. You've put out Antelope and Apotheosis, I believe, yeah. Yeah. from the record, which are all fantastic. Thank you. Let's talk about what this thing is that you've put out, because it is a very... It's a it's a collection of songs. They all sound like they're cut from the same fabric. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, they are. They all sound like they're coming from the same writing place. In in that yeah. there is a again an evolution mm-hmm. in this pontification of I th- you said it earlier and I think it's such an interesting thing because I think about it too and I think a lot of songwriters of you could journal, you know you could journal your thoughts but who's going to read that versus yeah. I'm putting these down as an expression and in an art form that will outlast me, right? Yeah. Which is some narcissistic tendency of human beings, but yeah. but also yeah. like this like idea of what did it mean? Like when I'm gone, is there anything here that I did or said that meant anything to anybody else that made this worth it yeah. or validated that I should have been here to anybody else? Is there a piece of that? And I hear a lot of that type of contemplation in the lyrical content of this, especially a song like Antelope. <laughs> yeah. And Rest, I mean. So mm-hmm. there is a hundred percent a feeling of like the art the, the drive of the artist to leave a relic of themselves in the world is um it's not entirely healthy. I, I, I would I would say this. And I think there is an aspect of it that is kind of narcissistic. It's part of the creation of human culture. The arc of Antelope, the EP. Let's, I'll just get this out so that people don't get confused. It is my version of the hero's journey, essentially. Um, told through the, the life of um, an animal that gets separated from its herd and is torn apart by wild dogs. And it just, I saw this video of this thing, you know, it's one of these nature videos where this happens and and the animal is cornered and, you know, they start eating this, this animal. Poor animal. Um, but halfway through the devouring this this look of just acceptance and transcendence kind of comes over the face of the the antelope and and it just appeared to me as if it's it's almost like it had it had finally discovered something it was looking for its whole life and was totally at peace right well that's kind of like a um, a metaphoric overlay for what I think is the way to transform personal trauma which is complete acceptance like the more you resist something the more power you give it and that that can be true in so many different contexts um so that is kind of like a sort of a general arc for 
for the the complete thing, right? Um, but it's also just it's a loose thread that I tie for myself to kind of join all the songs together. Um, they, um, you know, they all kind of have a a similar feel because they're mo- most of the songs are written in open D on the guitar. Um, Apotheosis is the only one that's in standard tuning. So they all kind of have a similar feel, similar, you know, picking you know they're they're the reflections of a middle-aged artist who's got kids that are almost grown you know my life is like transitioning into a new space you know a new perspective yeah a new perspective and now I'm like my life is really more about the people around me like that's the real that's the truly important thing about life is the relationships you have with the humans around you and are you cultivating love and uh, trying to reduce suffering in the world that's a lot more important than getting the best show and being the headliner at a place you know it's like I don't know it's just you know you you get older and you just your kids get older and things happen and um, it kind of comes into focus a little better you have this great lyric in Antelope that when the fist in your mind opens up and I think it speaks to a little bit about what you're talking about it is yeah there's yeah we hang on to too many things would you uh, you mind playing that one for us? Yeah, I'll play it. Resting in the twilight 
shallow breath I am gone But it's okay It's alright Everything is bright When the fist In your mind Opens up You will be awake And dreaming Floating on A sea of mud Not bad for morning voice. Yeah. Not bad for any voice. It's definitely morning voice. <laughs> but Thanks yeah. for doing that for us. <clears throat> it's yeah. interesting, and you hear this with a lot of music, um, but such a, I mean, it's not, I guess in some ways it's not a dark concept. I mean, the, the idea that, no, you it's know. It's not dark at all. I mean, that that's. But it's a happy song. It, it yeah, th- that's the thing. It's like, if you really think about it, being slightly uncomfortable is worse than death. Because you're dead. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've really come to believe that. Everything is going to be just fine. Like, we don't need to flip out about anything, you know? Um, Even, you know, even the things that we're terrified of, like... that's going to be okay too. Like it's a horrible and I mean it's it's easy to it's easy to to speculate or or I don't I don't mean to make light of human suffering because that is 100% real, but I don't think that I don't think we're going to lose as people. I don't think we're going to, you know, as dark as my songs may sound and as, you know, I actually, as I'm, I'm getting more optimistic about things. Like, I don't know. It's Well, I think the point you made earlier about the musician is the scribe of the time and the, the the environment that they're in through their eyes and their experiences. I mean, it's especially there's a lot there's a lot of darkness to write about and contemplate about. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to take that into your funnel mm-hmm. and kick it out the other side with some type of optimistic, even if it's a question that's through an optimistic lens, like that seems like yeah seems like worthwhile doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It helps me anyway. 
I think um, let's talk. So there's five. There's five songs on this EP. Yep, there's fine. Antelope, Apotheosis, which I I love that. Yeah, that's the beginning. So that's the beginning of the hero's journey because the the to become separated from your tribe, you have to feel like there's something out there that you need to find that 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 isn't here. You know, I mean, at the this is a typical like, you know, go back to Homer. You know, Ulysses. Uh, Adam's very innocently demonstrating oh, the value of homeschooling right now, just remember. with the, the amount of literature. Yeah, oh, I read a lot. Uh, my mom was a writer, and so I read a lot, a lot of books. Um, but um, yeah, in the in the Odyssey, Odysseus is it, he he leaves Ithaca, right, to go on this this journey. This is the typical, um, and he has all these adventures and returns back. Um, so apotheosis is, it's a, the word actually means, um, deification, like the ascendance of a mortal to a godlike status. So, which is the hubris that is required to become a hero. It's everyone's hero's journey. We all feel this way. Um, in some way, and so yeah, so that it the, it begins with apotheosis. Um, the second track is "I Have Always Loved You," which is just a, a beautiful love song and um, kind of a story. I mean, there's there's definitely a, a lyric in there about my own fall from grace, you know. You, you you use the lyric. This is how I shatter you. Yeah, this is how I shatter song. you. But yeah. you also talk about in that song, everything you ever knew falls away in just five words you say to me. Yeah, which is beautiful. And the five words, I have always loved you. Um, yeah, that's an interesting song. There's a lot of biblical like imagery in the end, um, where I talk about I'm the ghost. That moves throughout your tabernacle. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a throwback to uh, um, the book of Exodus in um, the Old Testament. Yeah, that the biblical references are just going to keep going because, like, that's in me deep. Well, and they're in our and culture I, deeply. I love them so much. There's so much rich, like, literary meat in all of that. All of the stories from the Old Testament. I think there are perennial truths you know which which appear in multiple religions like um and i kind of lean towards like if something comes up in christianity and in islam and in buddhism that's probably true you know what i'm saying um the the specific sort of dogmatic bits probably aren't, <laughs> but who's to say? So it moves out of "I have always loved you" into, mm-hmm. and then the centerpiece is "Antelope." That's that's the one I just played. Um, and then <clears throat> so there's the the horrific attack on life, and then the acceptance. 
And then the song that follows that is Rest, which is like really, that's a very, that song to me is just about like coming to terms with things. Are letting, you tuned to do that one? Letting them be what they are, yeah. Um, um, and then the last song on the album is uh, called Into Nothing. And in the last couple years, I've I've gotten into meditation. like, And so I Here's use, my surprise face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it does make a lot of. I mean, I'm such a cliche. Like, no, not at all. <laughs> like, I it's just so funny. For, I for think the listener, about myself, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're f- almost fifty, and now you're meditating. It's just, but there's it, no, it, no, no, honestly, I, it helps me a lot. I'm not making funny. I just so for me. everybody listening. First of all, I had just deadpan when I said that. <laughs> I was not surprised at all. But that's because if you spend 20 minutes around Adam, like you're such a calming presence. I can be. I can also be very upsetting. Ask my wife. But, <laughs> it's a different but, relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just mean in that, like, you're not in a rush. Like, it's kind of like you said about you're at a point in your life where, like, you've seen enough to, to like, know, like, everything's going to be okay. There's no reason to get up in arms about yeah. this stuff. And also, you've taken time to think about how you feel about things, and you're still working through them, but it feels mm-hmm. like a healthy relationship with that, which I, I assume is a meditative practice. Yeah, or I attribute to a meditative practice, whether it's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it is also intentional. It's intentional. I I downloaded um, the Sam Harris meditation mm-hmm. app called Waking Up, and um, so the last song is actually kind of um, an experience that I had during that time. One of the practices is um, to look for your mind. So. The very opening line, I went looking for my mind, and I found the world. Um, We are like the empty center of our own universes. Everyone is, you know? You know, the multiverse? Like, I believe in the multiverse because there's 7 billion people on the planet. That's at least 7 billion different universes. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all, that we can't get around it. Like, what we see in the world is a projection of our own mind. That's what it is. I mean, so. Can we, can we hear rest? Let's yeah. hear a projection yeah, yeah. of your mind in that one. All right. Never ends. 
I cannot get around So why take a knife to that eye And then I wake up in my life And I'm alive talk about a few additional things as we kind of steer towards the rap the rap yeah i mean when i first i can think of the <clears> first time i saw you we have so many great songwriters and i won't mention who else was on the on the the writers round that i saw you in it, not because they weren't great they were great in their own way but you have mm-hmm. a practice and a polish like you said earlier like you do your specific thing so well and there's a calm about it also in the approach and it's it comes out we just had the opportunity to do we did a we were both part of an ebor city records presents yeah, night at 7c where we did this really fun thing where we took a bunch of artists we all play with so it was joshua riley my mm-hmm. band mercy mccoy you and taylor rayner mm-hmm. and a lot of us i mean most of mercy mccoy plays as josh's band you know yep. I, I myself and andrew play in taylor's band um but we all played each other's tunes together and so yeah. even if even if it was Josh's tune, you're singing harmonies, I'm on drums, we're doing my stuff, mm-hmm. you guys are singing harmonies. It was so much fun. And to get to sit in in the music that you're doing and so many people afterwards, because you, you're, you're not playing out with a full band very often. You're usually playing solo, which it comes across beautifully. But then to get to hear those songs yeah. and be a part of those songs coming together and giving some of what, John mm-hmm. gets to do was just so rewarding and people afterwards and I'm interested in what you heard but like anybody that came up and talked to me about your set was just like blown away by the color and the texture and how much how much you're able to do with such soft nuanced music that's cool I mean yeah um, that was a really fun show yeah it was a blast and yeah it, it is I mean uh, lately I have been doing a lot of like the writers rounds type stuff um i think i'm gonna i'm i definitely want to get into more of my full band stuff because like 
that's a different side of me, you know? Um, like the different blood album, that was a full band, like full album. Um, and well, I think the like substance my current, too. my yeah, the substance too. Is it just for um, listeners? The substance is another one of Adam's records that I would label more of a rocker. Yeah, it's a rock album, and it was like, um, you know, my my current band who they're all like, um, yeah. Let's say hi to this. Well, yeah, so quick. so Ryan Prue is is my uh, lead guitar player. Misha Newbauer is my drummer. Jason Rasharm. Um, my bass player who, who I've had him like since the beginning um, and Jason was at the show I, I saw yeah. him afterwards was like, hey, man, thanks for show. letting us steal him for a little bit because it was yeah. so enjoyable and then recently we've added um, Nick Ewing has been playing Big Nick uh, violin with us and we love Nick like those shows are so fun to me like I want to do a lot more of that um I'm glad you went there though because I think one of the things I wanted to talk about is we're talking about the calm and meditative nature right. of Adam Randall but then I got to see I mean as long as I've known you I got to finally see your full band in a way that I think you'd want to be seen where I felt like it did yeah. you guys justice it was at the St. Pete Brewing show yeah, yeah yeah the nest there and you guys I mean you melted my face off it was you know going from being and, and I, I when we talk I'm pointing at Andrew here when we talk and all of our friends talk about Oh, Adam Randall sounds like, or I get a vibe of, you know, mm-hmm. like if you told me you were from Seattle, I'd be like, yeah, totally. You yeah. know, because I hear so much smash, not that Smashing Pumpkins is Seattle, but like I hear a lot of Ben Gibbard in, in oh, Death yeah. Cab for Cutie oh, in your writing, I but I, I hear Cab. far Death Cab. I and Nirvana Death Cab. And, and like Smashing Pumpkins. I know you guys have done Smashing yeah, Pumpkins did, in yeah. the past and, and Rob Ostensen, who, who you talked about earlier, who we love also, and hopefully we'll talk to at some point here soon. You guys did some Smashing Pumpkins stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... I just I wanted to say that because I think there's so much influence, and if you're going through Adam's catalog, know that you're gonna not just go on a lyrical and evolving writing journey, mm-hmm. but he's got a lot of sounds, and to see him in those different band makeups, those different arrangements yeah. are two different things that are both very rewarding. Because I th- the long way is one of my favorite songs of yours off oh, of nice. off of that record, um, off, off of the, the substance, substance. and yeah. that song rocks so hard. And like you hear it, and it's to me the mark of great music in that like you recognize it, but you haven't heard it before. Oh, cool! You know, yeah. and and it's just it's just right down the middle, but it's but it's still you, and it's unique. And I I love mm-hmm. that tune so much, and I think it's such a mark of this other side of your absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I I still I I have this like I want I want to make like a pop rock record at some point in my life to, to where it's just like just these crispy three minute like just give people exactly what they want yes you know what I'm saying <laughs> like like just those four on the floor beats and yeah but I think there's Eventually, value I think there's yeah. value in giving people what they didn't know they wanted yeah, which I think you're doing too. Antelope Not that you're like setting that. out to do that and be like, no. I know, I know you better than you. But I think there's something right. in like, um, we were talking about Liam Bowman earlier, you know, and mm-hmm. and there's a uh, a YCR Dispatch article about him right now, and in, in it it talks about like, and you do this too. I think so many great songwriters do this. Uh, we talked about this with Andrew Duhon in our first season, like the ability to take an idea or a feeling and articulate it. And put it out so that somebody goes, yes, 
that's what I'm feeling, or that is something I didn't realize I was feeling, but you articulated mm-hmm. it, and now it's like it's almost like you diagnosed it for me, and now you've given it a name, yeah. and now oh, I can yes. feel it differently, and there's this catharsis and release in that, mm-hmm. and, ex- and and self acceptance in a universal acceptance that somebody else felt that way, yeah, but didn't know how oh, to I... say it or even that that he needed to say it. Yeah, putting putting into words the the ineffable is that's that's a goal of mine well sure going back to goals so in addition to doing a pop record which we are very excited about yeah uh what what is the what's the goal so you mentioned your your turn in 48 on friday when your record comes out what what does what what is the goal or the the next step in the journey for you as a songwriter or even as a person but related to songwriting like you and i talked about this some and and i i share it you know if somebody came and picked you up and put you on tour, I'm sure that you wouldn't resist that, probably. And I don't want to. I don't want to put you know words in your mouth. But you know, you mentioned you've never left the area, and I I think one of the beautiful things about mm-hmm. you is that you know you may not feel like you're famous, but to me, you are famously known in this area for what you do and do so well. Oh, and cool. it's part of what I think we're all drawn to about you is that you're a great dude and you're mm-hmm. a great hang. But like what you're doing is it it if someone didn't know you and I didn't just say that and they just tuned in in context like they would you might as well be a recording artist that is that's heard everywhere around right. the world you know and you can see your spotify streams are going up like you are being heard and it's yeah, great people but are listening i mean it is yeah, the, but talk cool. to us about like what is what is the goal or is there a goal there's a goal i mean um i want to keep making great music um and you know uh one of these days i want to play carnegie hall I mean, I think that could be in my future. Let's work on that. I'm not, you know, it, the things that you never speak into existence never happen, you know. So I will, like, I think I could play bigger venues eventually. And, and, and you know, if I just keep developing this stuff and getting it out there, um I also want to make a record with my oldest son. We have a thing. We have a thing that we started called SM58, which is he's like a metal guy, and I'm a folk guy, and we're trying to like put that together into some weird conglomeration of stuff. Um, so that might be coming down the road. Um, I've also got this collaborative thing that uh, I'm doing with well. There's going to be this other live record that comes out that's me and Rob Austinton and Liam Bowman. When we were practicing for our thing at WMNF, Rob had just recorded the whole thing and we were just like fucking around and, you know, doing. And some of the songs came out like so good. The two-man con with me and Liam and Rob is gold. Oh, I bet. And, and and so that'll come out at some point, and I want to do a couple shows with them. You know, I have all these loose-leaf plans, but, um, yeah, I keep going straight ahead and build just an undeniable force. I think you've already built that. Yeah, I think you've already built that. Right. Well, Adam, we 
love you. We appreciate you doing this. We appreciate the music you're putting out. Thanks for letting us help out with some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank and you, be man. around it, man. We we love playing with you. We look forward to doing more with you. Adam, before we let you go, you want to play us out with one? I'll do. I'll do. I have always loved you. I love this tune. I have always loved this tune. Yeah. Uh, just for the listener, we got permission for one more tune from Heather. Haha. <laughs> This is how I heal my broken heart. Watch me now take the pieces and feed them to the dogs who need them more than I. Watch me now Everything you ever knew It falls away In just five words you say To me Throughout 
your tabernacle and walks upon your sea Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own. Songs we heard in this episode include Antelope, Rest, and I Have Always Loved You, all of these off of the Antelope EP. We also heard The Long Way off of Adam's record, The Substance. Support the artists you hear on this podcast by following them on Spotify and wherever else you get your tunes. And keep up with them on social media. You can find Adam on Instagram at the one Adam Randall. That's T-H-E, the number one, A-D-A-M-R-A-N-D-A-L-L. You can support Song Divers by subscribing to our feed and leaving us a glowing review everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Song Divers and our producers at Ebor City Records. Ebor is spelled Y-B-O-R. We'll be back with another episode real soon. But until then, thanks for listening and stay safe. I think I'm, I've been in a midlife crisis for like 10 years. <laughs> and like now I'm just like, why would I not have tattoos? Yeah. I'm going to tattoo I, my whole body. I'll have to look up the definition of crisis, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if a crisis can extend for that amount of time. Well, <laughs> I think it can. I can make a crisis last <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Song Divers is a production of Ebor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.